0: In October of 2014, uh, I led my very first service at Kibagabaga Parish in Gisabo Diocese uh, at this huge building with a dirt floor. And the senior warden just came up to me one week, the week before, and said, This Sunday, you are starting an English service at 8 a.m. Now, Joyce was an absolute force of nature and I recognized that this was not a debate. This was something that was going to happen. And so I did my absolute best to get an order of service together and work with everyone, get my sermon prepared. There were about 30 people there at the first service in a space better suited for maybe five or 600. For a whole host of reasons, the service was an absolute comedy of errors. It was a train wreck. And I spent the next five and a half years in that pulpit In that church with that congregation and I have so many wonderful stories many of which I've already shared I guess. As an English service in the capital we developed into a wildly diverse group of people from street kids to high-ranking diplomats and national bank CEOs. When pastors get together we often talk about you know what's your church culture around some you know one issue or another. What is your congregation like? And when I would talk to other pastors, it was hard for me because I felt like I had multiple cultures within my congregation, present at any given time. My experience as a missionary was not so much one of moving from one culture to another, though obviously that was true, but rather living between multiple cultures at the very same time. And this expressed itself in all kinds of ways, but here's one example. The first couple years that I moved to Kigali, I was, I was kind of sad because I was never invited to anyone's house for dinner, aside from maybe one or two. And regularly, a person would say, you should come for tea sometime. And I would wait for an invitation. I'd say, I love that. I'd wait for an invitation and it would just never come. Now, as the congregation grew and more international folks came, um, they actually invited me to their homes to have dinner, say, next Sunday, could you please come by? We'd like to have you. And I concluded that this must be a cultural difference, that Um, Western folks or other cultures actually invite you into their home to eat with them. (laughs) And it was a cultural difference, just not in the way that I thought. My final year in Kigali, the Dean of the Cathedral gave me a hard time. He said, Brandon, I have now been to your home twice for a meal and you have not visited my house yet. To which I replied, Maurice, I am so sorry, but you have never invited me. He says, what do you mean? I said that you should stop by for tea sometime. What did you think I meant by that?" And at that moment, it hit me. In Rwanda, it's the visitor's job to set the date and time for a visit. And tea, as it turns out, is a euphemism for a full-blown meal. My entire time in Kigali, I thought people were paying me lip service to come over, and they were actually issuing me a formal invitation which I never followed through on. Culture is real. Now moving back to New England and to a church like this feels by comparison fairly homogenous. And I expected those cultural realities to be less pronounced, and of course they are. But as many of you know, one of the huge gifts of living between cultures for so long is that you become calibrated to see cultural distinctions and subcultural distinctions more readily. A city like Boston isn't homogenous at all. Even our congregation isn't. We come from so many different subcultures and places. And in our daily lives, we move between these subcultures all the time. At work, in church, in our biking groups or friends, when we move to another place, and in each of these worlds, there are different norms and expectations. There are different ways of inviting people to your house for dinner. Now, Corinth was no different. It was a bustling cosmopolitan town. And a couple weeks ago, we entered into their world with some of the wealthier members of the church, eating meat sacrificed and pagan temples, and some deeply uncomfortable with this practice. This ancient city could not have been more different from Jerusalem. But as Paul plants this good news in different types of soil, he realizes that it takes on different shapes under different suns. The fundamental gospel DNA is the vine, is Jesus, crucified and resurrected, anointed with the Spirit. But each climate requires him to tend this vine differently. There are different parasites and pests and weather patterns that require different ways of tending to the vine in order for it to bear fruit wherever he is. Paul puts it like this. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, in order that I might win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. Now, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now here's the trouble. I am sure some of the apostles, especially early on, look to Paul and think he is selling out, acting duplicitously. Calling someone two-faced is a terrible insult. You can't trust someone if they show one face to one group of people and another one to you and if we are honest we all know the temptation to be swayed by different groups of people we understand how people can be duplicitous it's easy people who slip in and out of different settings can want to be liked by all people to laugh at jokes that we don't think are funny or go along with things that we would never actually agree with to be carried along by the strong current of the mood of a room or of culture. We are all susceptible to that. But of course, that's not what Paul is talking about at all. Paul's not being swept away by anything. Paul does indeed act like a Jew when he is with Jews and act free from the law when he is in Corinth with Gentiles. But all of this, all of this is governed by the deep logic of the gospel, governed by the fundamental reality of Christ in him, the hope of glory, which is what Paul means when he says the law of Christ. It would be completely untrue to say that Paul embraces some sort of cultural or ethical relativism based depending on his context. Rather, Paul's ethics Paul's ethics comes from who Christ is and who we are in Christ. If Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial law and brought it to completion, and we are grafted into the body of Christ, then we are not under the law either. But when he is with Jews who still live under the law, he wants to live a life intelligible to them as Jews. And when he is with Gentiles, he wants to live a life that is intelligible to them as as Gentiles, But in the very next chapter, when the issue of sexual ethics comes up again, he makes clear that this is not an area of cultural diversity or difference, but one of right worship versus idolatry, because our bodies are united to Christ's body. So in one instance, Paul is willing to be all things to all people, but in another, he stakes out a great countercultural claim. And this is not random. It's animated from Paul's deepest, most fundamental commitment to the good news of God in Jesus Christ. Now Paul is not an ethical minimalist either. He wants each of his church each of his churches to live complex, robust lives rooted in Christ and bearing the fruit of the Spirit in whichever soil they are planted. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Knowing that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control will look different depending on your circumstances. Paul is modeling in his own life for all of us what it means to live in Christ in very different cultures without straying from the central logic of the gospel. And think about how applicable that is to us all the time. What should we really take from this? How can we emulate Paul? Well, friends, we are living... In between subcultures and cultures all of the time and I would encourage you at some point this week to sit down and just think think about all the different subcultures and groups of people you live within work home family neighborhoods most of us will have at least three three different kind of subcultures that our lives are lived between and this presents us with both opportunity and danger And I want to explore each one of those this morning. First, what are the dangers? The danger, of course, is the soft, slow drift into a kind of relativism. When we are immersed in different cultures, we have to navigate the waters of each, and it can be just exhausting. The path of least resistance is simply to go with the flow not even in our own actions at first, but in what we grow comfortable with. And over time, this erodes our convictions on issues. Doing the hard work of asking what does it mean to belong to Jesus in this place and among these people makes us cognizant of what the current around us are doing and where they want to drag us. But even more dangerous, than the energy that it takes to navigate various cultural situations, is the rootedness and conviction it requires. And this is so difficult to do. There's a famous dispute between Paul and Peter, where Peter, after spending time with a group from Jerusalem, stopped eating with the Gentiles. And this illustrates something really important to us. Here is how Eugene Peterson paraphrases or liberally translates Galatians 2, 11 through 13 in the message. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, the other Jewish believers followed Paul's, Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, just the fact that we have this story in Scripture ought to be an encouragement to us. These are people just like us. Holy and set apart and given the Holy Spirit, yes, and still just like us. Peter has spent his entire life as a Jew who loved and valued the law. And then the Lord says to him, call nothing unclean, which I have made clean. And everything changed. But when he is with his old crew, with his old friends, who may not have heard that voice, it causes him to acquiesce to them to not stand his ground, to not be rooted in the conviction of the word of the Lord. If the Apostle Peter isn't beyond being swayed by culture and friends, it should make us humble enough to see that we can be as well, especially in places where we are insecure, where it is difficult to put our feet down into the truth of the gospel where perhaps we desperately want to be thought well of, or be loved, or needed, or admired. I'm reading The Diary of a Wimpy Kid to my children, uh, which is a whole series of hysterical books. And it's the diary of this fictitious, of course, diary of this middle school boy. And it's so funny because his anxieties feel so real. And that anxiety never really goes away, does it? Despite our graduate degrees and accolades. In junior high, we call those feelings of inadequacy adolescence. As professionals, we call it imposter syndrome. And that's okay. Each of us need to know those places of hurt and longing in our own souls, just to name them, to speak them aloud to ourselves and to the Lord, to a trusted friend or spouse. Name those places of insecurity and then plant your feet in the waters of your baptism root yourself firmly not in your own self-confidence but in the surpassing faithfulness and grace of God in Christ that's where the deepest sense of law, our deepest sense of security should be and can be in the deep logic of what God has done in the life death and resurrection of Jesus paul calls this the law of Christ. And this is what gives Paul such supreme confidence. And here's the thing. When you do that, after you name those places of insecurity, you will also notice them when they flare up. And when they do, you can understand them rather than just being gripped by them. And if you are not so gripped by them, it allows you to not be so easily swayed, but rather to stand firm With your feet in the law of Christ. That insecurity is one of the things that makes cultural relativism so difficult for us. And finding our security in Christ is the first step toward avoiding that danger. Now Paul gives us an image of security in Christ, security in who he belongs to and who he is that undergirds everything he does wherever he is but living in between cultures and subcultures isn't only or even primarily a danger it's an incredible opportunity the central law of christ is one of spirit and love not a flimsy version of love that just affirms people as they are but real firm love that seeks and wills the good of whoever we are with In verse 19, Paul puts it this way, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And just just let that sink in for a moment. Because Paul is rooted in Christ, he is free from all free from needing to please or to impress or to accommodate them. And because he has been able to be freed from them, he is thus able to truly serve them. Because he has been freed from his insecurities, he is able to confidently serve them from his confidence in Christ. Paul doesn't need anything from the Jews. He doesn't need anything from the Gentiles. He already has everything he needs in Jesus. And that is true freedom. But he is thus free not just to do whatever he wants, but free to love, which is the fruit of Christ. Rather than serving people for the sake of himself, for his own ego or insecurity, he serves them out of true love for their sake and not his own. And that is the opportunity one that presents itself to us wherever we are. The opportunity is that, being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ Jesus, we may be for the sake of whomever we are with. And when your coworker needs you to be a caring listener, offer that listening ear to them. And when, in a different sort of setting, a member of your neighborhood group expresses confusion about something, you can point them to, a verse of scripture. Kindness looks different in each of those different circumstances. Love manifests itself differently. And so in each of our cultures and circumstance, in, in every venue, we can, find, we can ask ourselves what it looks like to serve the people around us, what they care about, how they see the world and how we might enter into that world, to live a life simultaneously intelligible to them and evocatively different from them. That is the work of the Spirit in each of us. And it's the practice of love which is a lifelong pursuit. That is also the work that God does in the incarnation. Christ, takes on all of humanity, that all of humanity in whatever subculture and setting might come within the reach of his saving embrace. And so, Church of the Cross, be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, steady, rooted in the confidence of Christ, and hopeful that we might truly love them. For one day every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.